Well, I, I wanted to uh, say thank you for a couple things. The first is uh, last month was, was Pastor Appreciation Month. I don't know who decided uh, that that was that month, but that's kind of a nationwide thing. So thank you. Uh, so many cards and well wishes and gifts and Angela and I just wanted to say we're so appreciated and so grateful and feel appreciated. So thank you. Uh, thank you as, as a church and as a congregation. And then also to Carrie DeVore and also Amy Bowden, who helped kind of organize and spearhead our trunk or treat that happened last week. Yeah, I give them a what, what? That was, that was so much fun. Uh, we, our family had a, had a trunk back there. There was, there was you know, who, who knew the Krasowski family like went all out? You know, there's like lights on their van and it was pretty exciting. I mean, lots of folks from the neighborhood are just passing around or people who are part of our congregation making us, making us their first stop because it was early usually. And, uh, and actually pretty great. If you have preschool kids or if you, you remember the, the strategy is you get as much candy in like the first stop or two and then they're just, oh, that's it. You know, happy Halloween. And you get to go home and enjoy the rest. And then by the time they're in like third grade, they know better. Like, no, we can keep going. We can get more candy. Um, this typically is the Sunday that we celebrate communion, the first uh, Sunday of every month, and we're not doing it. <gasps> Gasp. I know, this Sunday, um, Danny actually asked me, he's like, does that mean that I'm going to go to hell? Like, because I haven't had communion. <laughs> no, no, that's not going to happen. We celebrated baptism. That's a sacrament. Uh, we're, we're intentionally waiting to the end of the month, and that's because... Advent begins in November, the last weekend, and Del Clark is, has designed this fantastic uh, kind of family Advent curriculum. I don't know what to call it, but, it, um, but it's a, a, we're putting together boxes right now, so every family in our church will get one of those. And as a part of that, at the end of the month, we're going to celebrate communion on that Sunday. So, whew, I mean, it's going to happen. Some churches actually do this every week. I know that comes as a shock to some of you. Um, but we're also beginning a new series for the month of November. It's called Roll With It. Roll With It. And we try and pick names that make you wonder how on earth does this apply to anything in the Bible. Okay? We're doing a good job, I think. I don't know. Um, Roll With It is about cultivating thanksgiving and gratitude and contentment. And all, uh, and all of that with what the Lord has provided us in our life and being content isn't just about material possessions. It's about being at ease with where you are right now. Not just about the stuff in our lives. It's about being at ease with where God has us in our life right now. In a world that often leaves us feeling dissatisfied or unsatisfied, God can help us be content. God can help us to roll with it. There you go. That's where it came from. And uh, if you didn't get a chance to hear the message from last week, I encourage you to watch it. Um, I have received more feedback, comments, uh, really positive comments than I've ever received on any message in my life, okay? So thank you for those of you that have done that. Um, but that's been something that's been kind of stewing. Some of those things have been fermenting. I don't know what the ruminating, that's always a farm term. I grew up on a farm uh, I've been thinking about that stuff in that message for a long time, and uh, I know that it, resonated, it did resonate with a lot of you too, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. I think it's a sign of the Holy Spirit being at work in our church, and if we're going to make it through this 
together as a church, then we have to stop just thinking as individuals and start thinking as a community. So, so, so important for us as a church community to start showing patience to each other, serving Christ and one another, loving each other as one body. And so if that's kind of um, my hope and prayer for us on a group level, this week has to do with what you can do on a, on a you level, like on an individual lo- level. Here's how we can all learn to roll with it. Well, November has long been one of my favorite months, and I have to qualify that because it's, it's really only the last week that's my favorite. Because what is this right now? I mean, the weather, it's darker every day, it's rainy. I miss the Midwest at this time of year. This is usually like when the weather is, has this crisp, you know, fall feel to it instead of wet, smelly, molding leaves all the time. That's just me. Okay, I'll stop bagging on the Pacific Northwest. It's awful. But I love Thanksgiving. I love the excuse to get together with friends and family, to celebrate a meal together, to share time together. I love what it represents. Um, Abraham Lincoln officially fixed the last Thursday in November as the national holiday, and that left plenty of time until Christmas, until now. And, you know, it just feels like this mad frenzy, this mad rush from, you know, Thanksgiving. I mean, it is just on from Thanksgiving until Christmas until really this year. And at first, I was nervous about all the supply chain talk. I mean, I I know you are too. We had a a refrigerator that decided to die um, in September, and we went to the store, and they're like, yeah, you're not going to get that for a long time. We're like, oh, you know, you're thinking like, oh, like a week or two. No, November 22nd was the first, it was a scam, because then they sold us like, oh, or you can get this fridge next Tuesday that costs four times as much as, <laughs> like, well, okay, we need a refrigerator. Um, but, but all, and so then when they're like, you better get your Christmas shopping done before, you know, Halloween, uh, some of you took that seriously. And we kind of, we're not done, we kind of did in our family, reluctantly, because Thanksgiving always just gets blipped, like, oh, oh, it's this thing that happens on our way to Christmas. But the cool thing that started to happen this year about, like, you know, getting your Christmas list together and thinking about shopping, I, for, for those of us that leave it till the last, you know, minute, maybe this year Advent isn't going to be this frenzied, hurried, chaotic mess. Like, if we get all of this commercial stuff done like between now and Thanksgiving, think about how this could change our lives, right? Like I might even do this next year to just get all of that out of the way early and then you can enjoy Advent and the reason for the season. And uh, what a contrast to the way that we usually feel at this time of year because we're kind of in this constant state of alert. And um, I just wanted to talk about it before we kind of get to talking about cultivating contentment and what that might look in our life. I think it's important for us to understand what's actually happening to us and like being aware of, and we all know what's happening to us in this like overhyped, overmarketed consumeristic world that we live in, but we live in it. So that's just, you know, we can't change that. But sometimes it helps to just call out the things that are just working on us all the time. And marketing is applied psychology. 
It's meant to create desire in us. It's meant to make us feel dissatisfied or want something better or to think that something is better. Or it's made to associate, you know, ideas uh, favorably with an item or a person. You know, that, that's, that's what it does. Some of you have made a very good career doing that. But it also works hand in hand with a human tendency in us of being dissatisfied, of wanting more, and comparing ourselves to others. It just kind of fits in with that hand in hand. And uh, I kind of feel like being dissatisfied has become like a positive character trait. You know, it's like if you go on LinkedIn and you're reading about things that people care about, like, I'm just constantly dissatisfied. That just makes me hunger, hungry for more, right? It's not a positive character trait. At least it hasn't been in the history of, of humankind. And if you think through just everything that's going on, like what is your current level of satisfaction? It's going to be good, okay? What is your current level of satisfaction right now with our leaders? What about with your spouse? What about with your job, your coworkers? What about your children? Here's one. What's your level of satisfaction with your body right now? Or just the things that you have? I mean, it's laughable. When, when, you, when, you, when you think about that, if you were to put it on a scale, I mean, it would just be at least, I mean, except for my spouse, right? Everything else <laughs> would just be rock bottom. I call her out from time to time. She has to... <laughs> but we use comparison to gauge how we feel, you know, like how should I feel at this stage of my life? And for those of us, myself included, but for those of you entering midlife, I mean, this just starts to intensify. You know, like, how did I end up here? I mean, really, I ask myself that all the time. How did I end up here? You know, in your life, you're like, Oh, man, I didn't see this. Or I thought when I was 20 that I would be at this point in my life, and now I'm not, and there's this disappointment, and you start looking around, and, and you combine that with constant messaging about it's time to upgrade. You know, time to upgrade your phone, your car, your house, your spouse, right? I mean, it's just the, message, the messages keep on coming. I, what's the real cost of all of that? Last week, uh, actually, like two weeks ago, we were, we were watching probably Sunday football as a family, and they, you know, all of the major phone characters, characters, uh, carriers at this time are are pushing the next new phone, iPhone, Android, whatever. And so it's it's time to upgrade, time to upgrade, time to upgrade, time to upgrade. That's the constant message. What's the real cost of that? So my son says, like, Dad, you know, you should the phones are free. You should trade it in and get a new phone. And I'm thinking, yeah, I deserve this, right? I should trade it in. I need a new camera. I mean, this is like three generations newer. I need all this stuff. And it's free. And so I, because I think like this, I actually decided like, so how much does this really, how much does free cost? And I was pleased to learn like that month I had paid off my old phone. So my bill was about to drop by $30. And this is amazing to me. And some of you are like, yes, Dan, that's how we design the internet to work. 
Um, I, we logged on, like, how much does free cost? And I'm like, oh, this really is. And then I look, you know, I'm looking at all the bullet points and the fine print, and I finally found it. I was like, aha, there it is. It requires a 36-month contract and a new, a new phone, you know, like at service, whatever. I'm like, well, what's the difference between my plan and this new one? $30. I was kind of surprised. I was expecting it to be more. But I'm like, that's the cost of free. And that's often what happens when we think about upgrading or when we allow ourselves to be dissatisfied. There's, there's hidden cost in getting caught up with wanting more and more and comparing ourselves to others. And the book of Ecclesiastes is full of observations by King Solomon. And he makes one in regard to comparison or the envy of others and what it fuels. And we'll put it on the screen for you. It's from Ecclesiastes 4, 4 through 6. And here's King Solomon. You can hear his voice, whatever that sounds like. And I saw that all the toil and all the achievements spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Fools fold their, fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. I mean, that could be written to our day and age right now. It just speaks to our motivation and, and the fuel behind keeping up with the Joneses. It's envy. And uh, I love the phrase, chasing after the wind, uh, which is fun when you're 10 years old, but do we ever outgrow it? You can't catch the wind. It's impossible. It's never-ending. When we compare ourselves to others and what they have, and we decide that's going to be our motivation is I'm going to go get that, it just never stops. We never compare ourselves to people who have less than us. We always, and I, I know you're never supposed to say always, so maybe I should just speak for myself, right? We're always looking at that next level up. Oh, I want that. And it ruins us. It ruins our, our level of just contentment and satisfaction and joy and peace in our life because we're always chasing after that next thing. Now, I sound really confident when I say that, like, oh, I figured this out. I struggle with this too. It's constant. It's a constant barrage that we just live in because it's called, you know, the United States or it's, or it's the, the, the developed world right now. Um, Jesus once was publicly asked by a man to speak with his brother. And he, he says it this way. He, he, goes, he says, tell my brother, this is out of Luke 12, he says, tell my brother to share, to divide the inheritance with me. It's not there. I keep looking for it. It'll be there. He, he's talking to Jesus, and he's in this crowd, and, and he's like, hey, Jesus, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me, which you got to admit, it would be pretty fun if Jesus actually did, because he would have gone home and been like the only person ever to, to, to say like, Jesus said, you got to give it, give it to me, like give it back, share with me. But instead, Jesus like totally stiff arms, he's like, you know, I am not the judge between you guys. And then, he goes on to say, um, and the reason, this is weird because inheritance law and their culture works 
well, if you're the oldest son, doesn't matter if you're the oldest daughter, older than everybody, if you're the oldest son, you got a double portion of the estate. And so if there's two sons, you know, they, it's like they add a share. The oldest son gets two-thirds, double what the youngest son does. And if you were a daughter, tough. Which shows you how greed works in our lives. You know, we always want what's... We're, we're very well-equipped to speak about injustice when it affects us personally, but we often have no... You know, it's not just for the principle of injustice. That's how greed works. It makes us so myopic. And so Jesus says, he's like, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Why? I know that. Why is it so hard to believe? It's so hard to believe because greed works on our heart. It's in our heart. That's where the dissatisfaction comes from. And if you don't watch out, greed sneaks up on you. It plays on our desires. It's fueled by dissatisfaction, envy, wanting more and more, all the stuff that we just went over. And so a friend of mine often asks this question, we're just talking about life or whatever, and, and uh, he's, he's in management at, at his place of employment, and he makes this observation about why people do what they do. And he says it so often that we get annoyed with him. But he's like, what are you chasing after? What are you chasing after? And more and more, it's one of three things. It's sex, power, or money. What are you chasing after? Like when you start to think about the emotions and, or uh, motivation on, on what, why people do it, often it's one of those three things. And the bigger house, you know, as it relates to money, some of us are just chasing after the money. Bigger house, nicer car, better restaurants more exclusive vacations. It's just a chasing after the wind. You're never going to catch up. You're never going to catch up. So let's stop crying. There's another way to live our life instead of being dissatisfied or caught up in all this frenzy. It's the way that Christ has mapped out for us. And when we follow him, there's joy in it. There's peace in it. There's contentment in it. Uh, God can help us be content. And I know that you're probably thinking, is that like really the best that you have for us this morning, Pastor Dan? (laughs) Yeah, it is, actually. God can help us be content. And the Apostle Paul has lots to say on this in various points in the New Testament. One is 1 Timothy 6. He says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. He says in Philippians chapter 4, he says in verse 11, I am not saying this. He's talking about a whole bunch of things. Uh, He's thanking them actually for their financial support. But he says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty, and I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I can do this through him who gives me strength. 
I have loved that passage ever since I was a kid. Because I just I knew there was something there that I needed to learn. But I was always frustrated. Oh, what's the secret? And and he tells us, we just want, you know, Paul's not giving a TED talk. He's writing a letter here. What's the secret of, of being content? Tell us. He told us. The secret is, don't focus on your circumstances. Don't focus on your circumstances. That just leads to anxiety. You and I believe that contentment is the result of accumulating enough stuff. And we're like squirrels trying to bury enough nuts each winter. When are we going to have enough? That's the problem. It's just subjective. Well, I don't know. How do you feel about it? Do you have enough? Okay. And then we get all this marketing, people telling us, you don't have enough, you don't have enough. And so we run out there and we find more stuff to bury. I digress. Paul has mastered the art of contentment, regardless of the situation, in both times of need and plenty. And if you think about that, how many rich people do you know that are content? How many are miserable? How many poor people do you know that are content? How many are miserable? You know, sociologists have studied this and they come to the same conclusion. It's like, you're just miserable. It doesn't have to do with the amount of stuff. You're just miserable. And so if the secret is not paying attention to your circumstances, um, what, what else is it? And it has to do with our convictions. Author Bob Cuban, he writes this. He says, true biblical contentment is a conviction that Christ's power, purpose, and provision is sufficient for every circumstance. We're to learn how to walk through all kinds of adversity, believing in and experiencing Christ's sufficiency. We have chosen to rest on God's good promises, despite what may be going on in our lives. So is Christ's power, purpose, and provision sufficient? Check yes or no. And all of us know there's a Sunday school answer that you're supposed to say yes. So why don't I actually believe it? Because the greed lives here. And it takes time to root that out, to cultivate it. Um, when we say this word, Christ is enough, we sing songs about it. Here's what we mean. We mean that our hope is in Christ. Not in as things are right now. A couple weeks ago, I sent out a video talking about, you know, what makes us resilient as followers of Christ isn't that we just need things to go back the way they were two years ago. It's because we have a faith in knowing that the best is yet to come. That when Jesus comes back, that's when things get fixed. But as they are right now, it's messy. And so our hope isn't in as they are right now. It's in Christ, that he's enough, and and he's coming back to fix things. When we say that Christ is enough, we also mean 
that he cares for us. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, I'll tell you, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to Uh, what you're going to wear for life is more than food the body is more than clothes consider the ravens they don't sow or reap they have no storeroom or barn and yet god feeds them and how much more valuable are you than they it's a conviction it's a faith that in god's eyes we are valuable he will provide enough for us when we say that christ is enough We mean that God gives us the power to overcome our challenges, our trials, our adversity. It's like Paul said at the end of that Philippians chapter, you know, I can do all things. This is a mantra for me uh, from the pulpit here this last month. We can do hard things. We can. And it's because, not because of our own intelligence or our own giftedness or our own abilities or whatever no it's because the holy spirit resides in us and empowers us to overcome whatever we face he can do it and we have the witness of countless christians throughout hundreds of years of history who say the same thing over and over and over again christ is enough he can help us do it we can do hard things we can overcome we might even be able to become the kind of people that are content and at ease with where we are right now. It's not just our material stuff. It's also just where we are at in our lives. Wouldn't that be amazing? Incredible? Wouldn't that be like a new life? Yes. Let's do it. Please join me in prayer. Lord, every single one of us can discover a new life in you. You are the God that brings dead people back to life. I have to believe you have enough power to help us through whatever trial we face right now. It might be the pandemic, it might be a hard marriage, it might be some tough financial problems that we're facing. God, we can do this when we put our faith and our hope in you. So help us to do that as a church. Help us to do that as families. Help us to do that as people, God. We need it. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, this is all we have planned for this morning. And so as I'm going to invite you to stand for the benediction, and I I want to remind you on your way out to give Eli a COVID-friendly high five. Because it's not often that we get to celebrate this as a church body, and it's pretty special. So go in God's presence. Go in God's peace. Go in knowing that he is sufficient for you and that he's enough. Amen? See you next week.